0: Brent and Chase Woolsey.
1: Well, good morning and welcome to smart investing show i'm brent wilsey just about eight o'clock on a saturday morning great to have you here this morning and uh, with me is chase good morning chase how are you doing this morning hey good morning doing well we got a lot to cover today so uh, let's get right into it that i say let's get right into it but before i get into it i want to talk about the workshop coming up because <laughs> it's this thursday we're sitting here talking like really is it this thursday already but it is this thursday uh it is going to be thursday uh april 7th at six uh, to eight o'clock at our, our, our office here in uh, scripps ranch and uh, at that workshop, you're going to learn all the important things, such as what is true financial planning, what is that individualized concentrated value portfolio that I've used for many, many years, a design that works very, very well, tested through all the hard times and that we've been through, uh, how to find good quality business at a good price, and why investing in strong equities can give you the best long-term return if done properly. Nice thing. It's uh, no cost for it. Uh, we do it for free for you. But what you have to do is sign up for it. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Or you can call the office 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Love to see you there. Uh, be great to see you there.
2: Yeah, so, looking forward to it. Yeah. I, you know, and this is a special workshop. Most of the time we're, we're trying to do them quarterly, but with everything kind of going on in, in the news, we'll talk about, you know, the inverted yield curve today and, you know, the rest of the Ukraine situation. We thought, you know, let's do one more this month just because it, it is a little chaotic right now. Yeah,
1: it is chaotic. And also, too, we have a lot of things coming up at the office. Uh, uh, got some traveling we've got to be doing here. We've got a new office where we're going to be opening, we believe. I think the date's going to be August 15th, so we we got a lot of things going on, so probably won't do a workshop for a couple months here. Yeah,
2: and no, I want to be clear, we're not opening a new office somewhere right. else, we're, we're moving. <laughs> moving. I, I don't house. want people to think we're, we're you know, going to open a branch out in Arizona or anything, And no, we're, we're just going to move down the street from
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, oh, you're right, we're, yeah. we're moving down the street, yeah, so, but um, anyways, uh, let's talk about the important news uh, from yesterday, was the March uh, uh, jobs report, uh, to no surprise, the job uh, recouped. Uh, recoupment, I guess we'll say recoupment uh, continued in the month of March as non-farm payrolls grew by 431,000. Now this did miss the estimate of 490,000, but the previous two months saw revisions total a gain of 95,000, which more than offset the current miss. Uh, the major area of strength continued to come from the hospitality as payrolls grew 112,000 a month. This comes as the industry still remains about 1.5 million jobs below february 2020 levels yeah and
2: then i i mean it's it's kind of not kind of really unfortunate it, when you look at the numbers here after facing COVID, uh, close to 90,000 restaurants had to close in 2021 obviously you just couldn't keep up with the bills and the, the sales dynamic change uh you had the openings the closures i mean it was a very tough environment for for those restaurant owners so i, I do feel bad for them uh, again, that number was 90,000 restaurants that did have to close in 2021, according to the National Restaurant Association. But uh, looking at other areas of strength in the report, came from professional and business services, which were up 102,000. Retail, another area of strength that, that was really hammered during the, the COVID <laughs> dynamic, that was up 49,000. And manufacturing jobs grew by 38,000. I did look at another major positive in the report as growth to the labor force participation rate. That now stands at 62.4%. And that comes after the labor force grew by 418,000 in the month of March. This level is just 174,000 people shy of the pre-pandemic level. So that was a big issue for many, many months. It's like, gosh, people just left the workforce and mm-hmm. we need people to fill all these jobs out there. And, you know, that appears to be kind of coming to an end and I I do wonder if it's the high inflation rate people thought maybe they could retire, their 401ks were up, their housing was up, they're like yeah I think I'm retiring oh my gosh this inflation I can't handle I need to go back to work (laughs) so something did change to get people back into the labor force. And and
1: I think it's so important uh, I use the word recoupment uh, is that we're just recouping the jobs that were there before and I I always hate when I hear people say oh jobs growth it's not growth because these jobs were here two years ago we're just replacing those jobs. We're coming back to those jobs from from before. So it is a recoupment. I, I like that word. I think you put that word in there, didn't I? You? Did yeah. 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 T- tough word I saw like oh recoupment. <laughs> 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 but uh, I, I did want uh, so to talk about so many things. Talk about this, and and I did see this uh, past week. That's with some states. I think three states. I forget what they were. Um, I think it was West Virginia,
2: West Virginia maybe Virginia. Idaho, and Pennsylvania, there,
1: maybe. Maybe
2: there's yeah. I know there was
1: three. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what's nice is that they're saying no, we're not going to pay unemployment for the rest of your life. Uh, they're cutting it back, I believe, to I think it was like 16 weeks or 26 weeks or something. Saying plenty of jobs out there, go on get one. And this is proof from the job openings and labor turnover survey called the JOLTS report. Uh, the job openings labor turnover survey continues to post elevated numbers. In the month of February, there were 11.27 million job openings which compares to the total number of people counted as unemployed at 6.27 million. Uh, this now means that there's a record, five million more openings than people than unemployed.
2: Yeah, and a- another way to look at it, this is a-, a really crazy number to me, is when you look at the people that are unemployed compared to the job openings, they're now ma- that now means there are 1.8 jobs per person that is unemployed. So if you don't like one of the jobs, well, there's another one out there for you almost <laughs> yeah. to, to go look for uh, the quiz level also continued to remain above the four million mark and rose slightly from january to 4.35 million in the month of february and, and with this report i continue to believe wage inflation will remain elevated and and no i don't think wage inflation is going to skyrocket to eight nine percent or anything right. crazy but i i would not be surprised to see a continuation of wage inflation around three to five percent i think last month it was somewhere in the five percent range Uh, which, again, actually is still not keeping up with inflation at 7.9%. I'm curious to see what this month's CPI number will be as well. Well, I guess it would be for March CPI. Right.
1: Well, well, Chase, I have a solution to the situation. I mean, when I grew up, because you just did this, you had a full-time job and a part-time job. So if everybody were to take a full-time job and a (laughs) part-time job, we kind of would help out here a little bit. And, And I don't know of anybody off the top of my head anymore that has two jobs. Do you?
2: Uh, Some people I know that will drive for like Uber or Lyft okay. or, or something that, uh, you know, they do have their full-time job and they say, yeah, you know, I'll kind of drive around just, you know. Yeah. I mean, I know you kind of, I don't know if it's jokingly, but you, you said, I don't know. I think it'd be kind of fun to drive you around in <laughs> oh, a Oh, yeah, Lyft, yeah. I, I think you know? it would be
1: fun, yeah. <laughs> I, I can take out my Cal- Escalade and pick people up and talk to them. Yeah. Although, what's somebody doesn't talk to me, I, I kind of feel like... Hurt like what? You don't want to talk to me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it would be. And actually, I remember reading a long time ago there was a he was a congressman in a small town, and he actually drove Uber. And he says, I like to to do it because I get to hear from the people what they think about what's going on. So.
2: It's interesting. I mean, Who knows? Uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah, you might show when up you get like, bored
1: one day. <laughs> yeah. And I get out open the door like, "Come on in, I want to talk to you." <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the uh, previous 401k accounts because uh, with the level of quits we have seen in the JOLTS report, many are deeming this era of time as the great resignation or the great reshuffle as employees are changing companies at an elevated rate. One item to be uh, uh, aware of is if you change jobs is your 401k at that old employer. As of last year, it's estimated that Americans had about, wow, $1.35 trillion in old employer 401k plans. And that's not a good
2: thing. Yeah, and and with quits remaining high, I would not be surprised if that level has continued to climb. And generally we say it's best to roll that old 401k into an IRA rollover. And what it does is simplifies your financial situation so you not have to keep accumulating new accounts every time you change jobs. Unfortunately, we have seen clients that had several old 401ks and ultimately forgot about one or two of them from older employers. Other downsides actually do include administrative fees that come with 401ks and the fact that you're at the mercy of the old 401ks fund lineup and any decisions that the trustee decides to make to it.
1: Yeah, and and that's the thing is that you don't know what's going on. Um, they may, you know, change funds and go, and we, 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 as a service for our clients, we actually look at their 401k plans and we say, we'll give you a recommendation. We can't do anything with it, but we'll, we'll give a recommendation what you have. We have seen some horrendous looking plans that people have like, this is the best you can do, but you got crap for options, yeah. you know, and you could have left your 401k there and maybe it's a hundred thousand dollars and you know what's going on. And they went from a, a, a good plan to crappy plants and just automatically moved into these crappy plants or maybe they've been moved into some balance fund or some uh, money market fund or who knows.
2: Yeah. And, and I mean, the big thing is just just forgetting about, you could forget, I and mean, it's like $5,000. dollars Let's say, oh, that's a lot of money, you know, yeah. you could just forget about $5,000, you don't want that to happen. The other thing I'll point out too, and I hear people, oh, well, my 401K funds are super low because I get institutional shares, right? which as a retail investor, you don't get access to all the time. In the 401K, you would. But the thing that you have to know, and, and we do 401Ks for clients, and we do have to use different pieces of the puzzle. It's not just an advisor that, that you're paying in a 401K. There's the advisor. There's the third-party administrator. There's a record keeper. All of those are fees that you have to pay for that you don't have to pay for in your IRA rollover, and they can add up quite quickly. And and I've seen plans when we take over plans for you know uh, our, our businesses that we do 401Ks where you're paying close to 1% for an index fund yep. because of all the other fees on top of the fund fees that go in there. So you have to be really careful. You could be way overpaying in that old 401k. And you know, if it is your current 401k, I'm not discouraging you to, to, to contribute to that because that is still important. You may be overpaying for it, but you can't miss that match and you can't miss that deduction for the 401k. It is kind of part of the rules. And Unfortunately, there's so many regulations that come with the 401ks that's why all these other parties have to be involved and that's why the fees are so high.
1: Yeah, and, and again, we, we've seen plans where people don't think they're paying those high fees and they are when you kind of dig into it and, and some companies done a great job of hiding those fees. So so be careful, understand. I mean, that's one thing we do when we do uh, 401k plans for businesses is we really lay everything out. We show them the fees like, oh, wait, we're paying you a management fee? Yes, you are, but you're getting <laughs> management of the portfolio but also too where we disclose the fees so you know what's going on. Well,
2: that that's so true because a lot of times when people look at their, their they're like oh no I don't pay a record I don't pay an advisor what they do is they lump all the fees mm-hmm. into the fund fee yeah. so like we have the the exact same fund let's say but we'll break out our advisory fee and the, the record keeper fee so you can see what you're paying where a lot of other firms what they'll do is like oh yeah no there's no other fees it's just this fund fee but it's you know twice as high sometimes right. as but the f- fund that we use is because they just wrap it all into one fee so you got to be really careful those 401k fees Fees are they can be quite dangerous. I did want to say one other thing too on the previous 401ks sure. is think about you have five different 401ks. Let's say you get married, you have a kid. Mm-hmm. are you gonna to remember to change your beneficiaries on all five 401ks? <laughs> That's why it's so important I think to move it with that IRA rollover because that and we always say it's like a suitcase you take it with you from job to job because that way you only have to remember to change your beneficiaries on one right. account. Rather than five, because that that could be very dangerous. If you pass away, that that money is going to the state. Yeah,
1: and if I were, I've been doing this for over forty years. I've always recommend roll your four hundred one k over, especially so you can keep track of it. So you know what you are doing as part of your financial plan. And and, and I know there is people that lose them. They forget about them. Um, I had I haven't had recently. I think it's like fifteen years ago. I had a client that actually passed away, and we could not get hold of anybody for the beneficiaries. You didn't have a beneficiary on the account and, well, went to the state. So keep track of your stuff. <clears throat> Best way to do is keep your life simple. And again, you mentioned married and a kid. Well, now you're going to have life insurance. You're going to have a house. You're going to have a new work 401k. You've got all these. It's just too much. Make your life simple. Keep your money. And I always say it's like a suitcase. Just keep putting that suitcase, more, more money in that suitcase if you change jobs a lot. So, <clears throat> all right. Uh, phone number 833 288 0973. Again, i get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. 833 288 0973. Let's go to Alpine and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Vessel Brent and Chase. How can we help you
3: Hey, good morning, guys. How are you this uh, early May gray here? I don't know what's going on with the weather, you know?
1: Early April gray. Is so that what you mean? April of May? <laughs>
3: <laughs> hey, so I, I need a little narrative on at and T. I I bought it, uh, well, some of the shares I bought uh, 366 days ago, and some of them I bought, uh, I can get a tax loss harvest like next Friday, and I'm thinking of doing that, but I'm looking at all the mergers and stuff going on, and, and what the heck is going on with this company? Is it worth, the future earnings look flat, I'm, is it worth, Hanging on to it all, like doing a wash sale or anything like that.
1: Well, let's look at the numbers here, and then we'll talk about it, because it, there's, there's some good numbers here behind AT&T, which just don't seem to be coming to light. Uh, companies AT&T, they're similar T, as T is and Tom. They're in the telecom services industry. A good sign that it's going to uh, gonna do well is that the, the, the uh, short is only 1%. So that means well, that's good. Yeah, they're yeah. not thinking it's going to you know go down. So institutional ownership uh, on the low side. price, am surprised on this. Fifty five percent. The P/E ratio very good. Eight point seven <clears throat> versus fourteen point one. Price of sales one versus one point four. Price to book value one below the industry at one point eight, and price of cash flow well, very good. Four point one versus four point eight. Also to uh, at and has a very good peg ratio. And peg ratio is your price earnings divided by growth. Tells you how much you're paying for the future growth. It's only 2.1 versus 6 for the industry. And by the way, the S&P 500 is at 15.2. We have said that the S&P, I think, is... Pretty pricey. That's one thing that kind of proves it. Uh, as far as AT&T goes, they have no earnings change over the last year. Last five years, it is an increase of 6.2. That is about half the industry at 12.3. They have done a lot of things over the past five years. Uh, over the one year on their sales, they're down 2.3%, but the industry was down 4.8. The five-year estimated growth on earnings for AT&T is a 3.7 versus 9 for the industry. They do pay a dividend that is well. This is kind of strange. It's a kind of change here for me. It Shows four point six percent, and when we did our numbers last week, it was like uh, I think like eight. So I'm not sure why we're showing four point six, which is three point six. Unless yeah, they, they,
3: they cut they cut the dividend from two dollars and four cents a year to a dollar eleven a year.
1: Well that's supposed to happen with the, the spinoff. This bakes in future So they're, so they're looking at the future is what they're doing here. Okay. Okay. I so was aware. Yeah, because I I knew it's coming up, so yeah. now we're seeing the numbers. So so that then is very attractive, four point six, because that is gonna be the dividend you're getting going forward that is above the industry at three point six. The payout ratio only seventy-five percent. I like seeing that. We do see that uh, they have a, on the balance sheet a current ratio of 0. 0.7 versus 0. 0.9. Uh, debt equity looking good, 1.2 versus 1.7. Uh, we do see a net profit margin. Well, that checks in at 11.9, above the industry at 10.4. Return on equity 12 versus 14.4. Mm-hmm. And Chase, you seem to be on, uh, ahead of this here. So did they already do the numbers for the spin-out? It's gonna happen this week, you think? Or what's, what's going on?
2: I, I'm going to do um, the numbers, and then I'm going to okay. talk about
1: the, talk the about whole that. story okay. after. Uh, I think it's just too complicated to try and do. Sure. Both. So
2: let's look at the current price here first for AT&T. It's $23.98. 52-week high, $33.88. And the 52-week low, $22.02. Year-to-date return, it's about flat, down 0.5% uh, for the business. If I go out to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share of $3.24. would give us a target sell price of $53.78? Now, I'm going to say that estimate is mm. somewhat misleading because we know that they are going to be splitting in some fashion next week. And it's a very complicated process. Yeah. They're not officially splitting next week. You're like getting your stock shares in this company that is going to be happening <laughs> down the road in a few weeks. So, like next week, I think it's on April 5th. Is when they'll, they'll kind of issue these shares. So it is happening April fifth. Okay, I, I know I know it's coming up. I thought, but this it, but it's a very complicated manner because you won't have Time Warner Discovery shares. You're gonna have. I forget what they're calling. It. It's like AT and T, Time Warner, Discovery. You're going to have this subset of shares that will be converted oh, wow. to Time Warner
1: Discovery shares down the line. Sounds like you've done some reading on this.
2: I, I have done a little bit of reading <laughs> on this. Yeah, yes, because
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not seeing anything on it. I knew it was coming up, but I didn't. And I, I thought it was coming up this week. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're starting to come up with some confusing things here. So this is going to confuse the reporting companies that we use. Going to really confuse the investors. Uh, and I think what you have to do is just kind of be patient, kind of wait through here.
2: Well, I think that that's the whole thing is that stock is flat year to date. And, and it doesn't surprise me. We've been saying this now since I've kind of issued it, that the stock has been, you know, trading up and down, down People sold it on the dividend cut. But the dividend cut's really not as bad as people make it out to be because you're getting now shares in Time Warner Discovery essentially for, I don't want to say free. But that new dividend of $1.11 is not incorporating that Time Warner Discovery deal. So in theory, what you can do is if Time Warner Discovery is a a terrible company to hold, you sell those shares, you buy back for free, essentially, your AT&T shares, and you drive that dividend from a 4.6% yield to over 5%. So it's not a full cut in half on that dividend yield. A lot of kind of thought process here that goes into it, Jim. My whole thinking on this stock is be patient with it, kind of yeah. let let it work its way out. I don't think I would do any buying and selling on ATT at this time. There's just a lot that that's going to be happening over the next few weeks. And I do worry about that Time Warner Discovery. I, I don't think, well, I, I think you probably know now we own it in the portfolio, so I'm just going <laughs> yeah. to, I'm going to put it yeah. out there is. <laughs> You know, I, I, I don't think we're going to sell the Time Warner Discovery shares right away because I think there's going to be retail investors that want to get out of it quickly and it could go w- too far down too fast. I think we're just going to be patient. We're going to wait for new numbers to come out. That way we have good numbers to, to make good decisions with on uh, both both new s- stocks.
1: Yeah, and, and I would not be thinking of doing any tax harvesting here because you, you could really do it at the wrong time. Uh, I, I, I think waiting until maybe first of May. I mean, we got to see how this shakes out here because I think it's, and I think AT&T has some good assets. I mean, they've they've got the, they are the second largest, I think, behind Verizon as far as um, cell phone goes. Uh, They got the fiber. Um, And now they can kind of focus on this. I mean, I think they're cleaning up their balance sheet. Uh, That's what I'm saying. I think AT&T is good for them. Also, too, the new company, I think that could be very good. So I, I'm going to be patient with this here. I mean, that, that's what we're doing. Um, I would not get too upset about, oh, I'm going to do some tax, lo- tax loss harvesting. No, I, I think I'd wait to see yeah. what happens here.
2: I, yeah, th- there's just too many moving parts where <clears throat> you know, you're know you kind of blind trying to make a decision. I, I want the numbers before I'm going to make any decisions on these companies.
1: And, and I'll never forget, too, that when this was first announced, uh, John Malone, who's done very, very well in the industry, yeah. um, he said, this is such a fabulous deal. Yeah. So he really liked it. So he's... He knows the industry's been doing it probably 50 years, I'm going to say. so. Yeah, so, Jim, don't do anything. Just kind of watch. <laughs> Sit on the sidelines and watch. I'll yeah, I
3: know. I, I, I was <laughs> confusing the daylights out of me. You're trying to catch up on it. I figured I'd get a narrative from you guys, which I got. So yep. uh, thanks for that. You're and, welcome. And uh, the problem is I got a, I got a serious capital gain happening later this year, and I was looking for some ways to offset it.
2: And you might be able so, to uh, in May. I mean, that's where you know, if, if you do have it, you can maybe look at doing some tax loss harvesting after this is all settled, because you'll, you'll, I don't think that the stock's going to pop by any means. So, you know, be be patient with it. I think you wait until, as you said, around May, and then maybe look at doing
1: some tax loss harvesting, if it makes sense. Yeah, that, that's the key. Yeah, to, after everything yeah. settles out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and and don't be too excited about people. Oh, under tax loss harvesting. Sometimes you can miss bigger gains because you're so excited about trying to get off that, you know, not pay taxes. And we always tell people, we'll never make a tax decision over economic decision and sometimes you make a decision right. to sell something this year to offset the gain but next year the thing you sold went up 30% so it wiped out the benefit of taxes so uh, I always tell people don't get too excited yeah. about the tax side you've got a capital gain that's good you're making money uh, you can make big money on this company that was not so good this year next year that could be the big winner yeah. so so be careful. So, are yeah. ready?
3: I appreciate it. That's why I called. To give, uh, get the uh, get the narrative on this thing. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, Jim. And, uh, see you. Uh, see you. Uh, probably see you at La Jolla Concourse.
1: Yes, uh, we'll be there. Oh yeah, that's coming. Up. That's right. coming All up right. in April. <laughs> Have All a good right. one, Jim. Bye we'll
3: bye. We'll be we'll be in the Ferrari row Friday night. <laughs>
1: I'll be in the Lamborghini. <laughs> All
3: right. Have, <laughs> Have a good wrong one. Wrong row, pal. Wrong <laughs> row. <laughs> see
1: ya. Bye <Bye-bye>. bye. <laughs> All right. That does open up the phone line. Eight three three. Two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three.
2: Before we go back to the calls, I, I did sure. want to. I teased with the yield key curve inversion, and we never you, talked about. I that. didn't hear
1: you tease on that. Did you tease I, on I that? I
2: teased on that because I asked before the show, I'm like, Are we going to talk about this." He said, "Yeah." So I'm like, "Oh yeah, you know, we we have a lot of chaos, like the yield curve inversion," and then we. I think it's something important that we got to talk about. It is
1: important. I don't know how I just skipped over <laughs> it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. So, uh, yeah, okay. So people are worried about the yield curve inversion, uh, and and this is important. This is when shorter-term bonds offer higher yields compared to longer-term bonds. While this has been a reliable indicator of recession in the past, it is by no means is something to panic over. Since 1977, the two-year and the 10-year yield curve has inverted seven times.
2: This was one in – there was one case actually in 1998 when a recession did not follow. But on average, it still takes about 17 months after the inversion for a downturn to start. So, yes, it's a reliable indicator, but (laughs) you kind of stretch it out sometimes. (laughs) Two years is when the recession Uh, – it's kind of a funny thing. It's almost like, uh, you know, you always talk about – correlation is right. you know i know david Dreamman talked about well every time a red car drives by you know the hand goes out the window or something it's just kind of something that happens when you see a red mm-hmm. car it doesn't necessarily mean that's the root cause i think that people try and fit this peg into the fact that oh a recession comes every time it happens i mean it's two years after i think a recession just kind of comes naturally after those time periods but the thing that that I do say is that 17-month time frame, I mean, that would still fit into our expectation that we're looking at a small recession later in 2023, so it does kind of fit the narrative that we are looking for this time. But I'm still going to say, even with a recession, I still believe the right stocks will do just fine. And in fact, a year after inversion, the S&P 500 has been on average 11.8% higher. The only time since 1977 it was lower occurred after the February 2000 inversion. If you hold the right companies here, don't panic over this. I mean, I do worry about the S&P 500 over the next year, but I just wanted to pull that out because people, oh my gosh, a recession's going to happen, i got to sell and get out. and. <laughs> No, I, as I said, it up on average 12%, close to 12% one year later, and I think the right stocks are going
1: to do just fine over the next year. And, and you can't just look at one indicator. Yeah, yeah, okay, so it's it's in, in inverting. But you've got to compare, like, in the past recessions that happened, well, how much cash was in the economy? Again, we've talked, there's like $21 trillion in economy. Maybe the last recession there wasn't, so people don't have extra money to spend. Perhaps in the last recession there wasn't... jobs for every person i mean there's so many things now that are different than before you can't just look at one thing and saying oh it's inverted gonna have recession and again you talk about 17 months out a lot can change in 17 (laughs) months as well and we have said on the show that i think in 2023 we're going to have a slowdown perhaps a small recession but nothing to panic or should panic anybody to sell everything and go to cash cash is not a great uh Great investment uh, at all, especially in this time, you're going to be way behind inflation.
2: Yeah, and and the other thing we talk about, too, is on on that inversion, you have to understand what the Fed is doing here. The Fed is hiking right now, or they did hike short-term interest rates. Well, when they announce those Fed funds rate hikes, that impacts the short end of the curve, likely, the two-year. But they also have a bond purchase program right now where they've been buying back bonds. Now that has been unwinding. But they haven't allowed the balance sheet runoff to occur just yet. The reason that's important, that affects the long-term yield rather than the short-term yield. So they have kind of started with the short-term yields. And then I think later this year you could see – that's why I I wouldn't be surprised to see the 10-year note above 3% by the end of the year is because they're going to start allowing that runoff to happen, I believe, which is going to impact the the long-term side of the curve. So – I think you have to see what the Fed has done. That's kind of, I'm going to say, manipulated the, the,
1: the inversion somewhat as well. And, and that's another thing in the past recessions, these past inverted yield curve, you did not have. You did not, ha- did not have the Fed holding, what did they hold, like $9 trillion? They didn't have that back then. Yeah. Then, then I think they had like $1 trillion. They couldn't do anything with the long end. Well, now they've got about $9 trillion, I believe. They can, again, they can stop buying that. They could maybe even do other things, you know, so- so they've got a different situation here. You've got a different economy, you've got a different job market. So I, again, I believe we'll have a slowdown because it, it's gonna be a natural you know, situation, but it's not gonna be anything to panic over. Uh, and like, oh, I gotta sell everything and get out because we're gonna have a major recession like 2008. No, not gonna happen.
2: And then and the other interesting time period is the last inversion was actually 2019. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious if we didn't have COVID, would we have had a recession? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, just be careful. I guess saying because this happened, this always happens. And what if you go to cash, and all of a sudden we still have inflation of six percent, and we don't have a recession, and stocks don't crash, and now you've just lost six percent per year on your money because you've been in a hundred percent cash. So yeah. just be very careful. That's why it comes down to. I don't want to say not focusing on the macro side of things, but focus more on your businesses and how they're handling the different types of environments. I think the micro or the looking at the companies is so much more valuable than trying to
1: time the market and, and what's going on with the, the whole economy. Right. And and not worry about where you're going to be next month or six months down the road, but you know, where you're going to be two, three, four, five years down the road by doing the right thing today. So phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833 833- two eight eight zero nine seven three let's go up to San Marcos and speak with Phil Phil you're in the smart best show Brent Chase how can we help you
4: hey good morning guys how you guys doing good how you doing hey good hey I wanted to uh, comment on we were skiing with the family last weekend and I was able to catch the show on the podcast on the drive home awesome so uh, great to hear last week's show but um for today I've been seeing this, the semis get hammered a little in the back half of the week, and I was got a little small piece of On Semiconductors ON, mm-hmm. and as they've come down a bit, I'm thinking of getting more, but wanted to get your guys' opinion first.
1: Yeah, I've never heard of this uh, semiconductor company, so I'm kind of excited to look at a new company. Uh, you said you hold this, correct, Phil? You, you hold this, Phil? Yeah, okay. I'm sorry.
4: Uh, I, I old maybe about 1.5% of my portfolio.
1: Okay. Well, let's take a look at uh, on semiconductors. Their symbol is as ON. Uh, only 3.5% short uh, is what they have there. 97.7% institutional owned. PE ratio 26.3. That is above the initiative 25.4. Price of sales 3.9, below the industry at 59 Price to book value, 12. That's very good because the industry is over 100. And then price of cash flow, 14.9 versus 16.2. And a nice peg ratio of 0.8 versus 5.3. Now, earnings for the past year are up 187%, well above the industry at 44.3. We do see sales climb by 23.5%, also well above the industry at 32 uh, nice five-year growth rate uh, here on the earnings, uh, 18.8, about the same as the industry at 19. We see they do not pay a dividend. Their balance sheet, uh, current ratio 2.5 versus 3.5. Debt equity about the same, 0.7 versus 0.6. Net profit margin checks in at 15. That is under the industry at 23.9. And return on equity is very respectable at 22, but not quite as good as the industry at 28. Chase, what do you got?
2: Yeah, so current price here for On Semiconductor is uh, $59.63. 52-week high, $71.25, and a low $34.01. Year-to-date return, as you kind of said there, Phil, it struggled a little bit, down 12.2%. And, and I'm pretty surprised. This is not a small company by any means. Market cap here, $26 billion. Wow. Close to it. I, I was curious what they do, and it looks like what they provide is, is kind of sensors power and analog semiconductors and i'm not a tech guy so i'm I'm not quite sure what that who they're going to be supplying directly like do they work with you know the intel's amds they kind of provide some pieces for them or do they go directly to like it says here they're they're big into the autonomous driving do they go directly to the auto companies so I'd be curious more on how their supply chain functions, and in fact, this is interesting, they are the largest supplier of image sensors to the automotive market, Oh wow! and we know the automotive market has been struggling with chips lately, yeah. so that could be good for uh, their demand going forward, and they did say they are focusing more on the automotive, industrial, and communication markets, and reducing their exposure to consumer and computing markets. I like that they're in different spaces. Now if I go forward for this company again, ticker symbol here ON for On Semiconductor. I go out to December 2023. I see estimated earnings per share of $4.41. That gives us a target sell price of $73.21. So a, a nice forward PE here of about 13 and a half. I, I might watch it a little bit more. I know you said you hold some, but looking at maybe adding to it, I think I'd be a little bit more patient. Just kind of see what happens. Do a little bit more research on it. Try and get a little bit better deal because 13 and a half is. Not quite where we like to normally buy under 13 times earnings, right. I would say. So it would be in our hold category. But I, I think this is an interesting company and uh, you know, could could be worth the further research. Uh, how far away is it from the target sell price? Is it like
1: 25%? I know, I know you're going to do that to <laughs> me. <laughs> well, I, saw that. I saw your calculator over there. I thought you, you had that. that had 23%. That like, yeah, 20. yeah, so you got to be a little patient here. Um, what could happen is the earnings could go up to increase the target sell price. Uh, perhaps the stock falls a little bit more. Um, I mean, they're low for the for the years, thirty four. So, gosh, I think if we got down about fifty five, it could be a buy in this company.
2: Yeah, and, and the other interesting thing here too is I look at this year, two thousand twenty two, earnings are estimated to grow forty one percent. So, where is that huge influx of earnings growth coming from? And the next year, it's five point nine percent, which I'm okay with. That that's fine yeah. growth on this business, especially if you get it for you know thirteen times earnings. But how in the heck are you going at forty one percent this year and then just? close to 6% next year. What happened? Did, did the automotive slowdown really impact them? There's some questions that I, I'd want to answer here, Phil. Yeah,
1: Phil, I, I think it's a company worth watching because they got a good product. Uh, it's not way overpriced like some uh, chip companies. So, uh, yeah, worth watching and, and stay with what you got and just keep watching and see the add to it.
4: All righty? So, yeah, so the research should be really on the supply chain and future revenue streams yeah like, who because I'm gonna start looking that
2: stuff up now. <laughs> yeah, who who are their customers? I mean, who do do they work with their chip makers or do they work with the automotive companies directly? I'd want to know, too, the breakdown of the industry. So I, I said they're focusing more on automotive. Is that right now only five percent of their business? I, I'd want to know the breakdown of the segments because you know the consumer and the computing side, there's been talks and maybe that's slowing down a little bit. It's good they may be pivoting to other industries. But, you know, if consumers 60% and that slows down, that's going to hurt the company. So I'd want to know the breakdown of of the revenue. Yeah.
1: All right, Phil. All
4: right, guys. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend.
1: You too. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line 833-288-0973. That's 833-288. 0973 and Chase I want to talk about the workshop again because it is coming up this Thursday at 6 o'clock It's gonna be in Scripps Ranch and at that workshop we talk about what is true financial planning we talk about what is the individualized concentrated value portfolio we kind of show you how we buy the right dividend stocks we also talk about 19 thoughts and this is always very popular for people because they all do it 19 thoughts that lead to your under uh, underperformance and how many positions Should you hold your portfolio? These are all things that we go over for you to make you a smart investor. But what you have to do is you have to sign up. And it's a free workshop. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Or you can call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Talk to Priscilla. She gets us signed up and i think we still had a few seats left i believe is what we had left yeah, yeah. yeah <clears throat> i believe so yep so all right so hope you see you on uh thursday this coming thursday right now time to talk to financial talk about financial planning for that we turn to our financial planner harrison johnson good morning harrison how are you doing this morning
5: good morning guys i'm doing well
1: well good good you know it's, I, I i like this topic because every once while this comes up and it is life and in, life insurance is a retirement solution question mark. I mean, everyone's while this comes up like, oh, I'm going to buy life insurance for retirement. Why don't you explain what's going on here, Harrison?
5: So to explain, I've got a little story to kind of help illustrate. So I've got a family friend. They've been funding a SEP IRA because they're self-employed. So they've been doing that for a lot of their career. And they encounter a salesperson who approaches them, not us, obviously. A salesperson comes to them and says, Uh, pitches them well do you think taxes are going up and they say oh well sure you know i think taxes are going to go up for various reasons whatever and so then the salesperson responds well you don't want to be funding that SEP because all those withdrawals are going to be taxable and that's going to be really bad for you in retirement so the solution then from the salesperson is then to buy life insurance instead because with life insurance as a retirement plan you basically have to put a ton of premiums in there, build a lot of commissions for the person selling it. And then the hope is that you build enough cash value inside of this policy so that you can borrow from it. And then since you're borrowing, that's going to be tax free. So that's going to be much better for your retirement. You're not going to have to worry about taxes. So that's kind of the premise of, uh, this is a real story, by the way, this is actually happening with somebody I know. Um, So if we dissect this, number one, taxes are going up that, I think it's probably true. Um, At some point, I think we could see some tax increases, whether it's in 2026 or before with the administration, what they decide to do. But that doesn't necessarily mean your retirement taxes are going to go up relative to what the current taxes that you're paying. For example, with my friend here, right now they're in the fourth tax bracket, which is 24%. Well, that's because they're working. When they go into retirement, their income is going to be Social Security, which is partially tax-free, rental income, which is partially tax-free because of depreciation expenses and that kind of thing. And then they have this SEP. Well, right now their RMD is expected to be about $20,000 from that SEP, which isn't going to be a huge tax problem. They're going to be able to stay in like the 12% bracket, which means if they forego funding the SEP right now. They're missing out on a 24% deduction just so they can save 12% later on. It doesn't make any sense. So that's the first thing. Second thing, um, if retirement taxes for this person was a problem because they have lots of ordinary income sources and a lot more pre-tax money or whatever it is, well, all we would need to do then is fund the SEP. Get the tax deduction, and then we could convert that over to a Roth, because then the conversion is taxable, but it's offset by the, the contribution to the SEP. So that's that way we could just fund a larger Roth contribution, which all that would be tax free in retirement. So that's the second thing. The third thing is uh, these friends of mine are in their 60s, which means when you have life insurance, every year you get older, the cost of insurance is much higher. So it's going to be extremely difficult for them to build enough cash value. So that they can actually retire and then borrow from it, because if they don't build enough cash value, that policy is either going to not be able to give that them income, or it's going to lapse on itself, which is going to be fully taxable, and they'll have no cash to pay that tax. So that's the real retirement tax problem, which would be with this life insurance thing. So, you know, you have to watch out for salespeople and pitches, and oh yeah, taxes. I don't like taxes. Well, make sure there's a connection between the solution and the problem that that they're explaining.
1: And Harrison, you said it's a a real story. And what shocked me was you said they're in their 60s. I thought you were going to say they're in their 30s because that's usually like, oh, you you know, a long time. (laughs) And and I just, these salespeople, that's what you're taught in sales. Focus on people's emotions. Everybody hates to pay taxes, so that's what you focus on. I I mean, as opposed to the things you bring up, like the time value of money. I mean, all these expenses, they take away from your returns. And and again, they're in their 60s, but still now if they're in their 60s, they could easily live another 20, 30 years. Um, I I mean, it just, I I, I get kind of, and life insurance is a good thing to have for the right people. But to be sold as a retirement plan, uh, in my 40 years, it's never ever made sense to me, and I don't know why people do it. Uh, if people have a life insurance person trying to sell them life insurance, retirement plan, uh, close the door and walk out because it's just not right. And I I will say to Harrison, we were talking Oh, go ahead,
2: Harrison.
5: Yeah. I was going to say another analogy for it is, you know, everyone hates reverse mortgages. You say, Oh, we should get a reverse mortgage. Oh, everyone hates that. And in, in some cases it can be useful, but that's a separate point. But, um, Life insurance as a retirement plan is basically the same exact thing as a reverse mortgage. With a reverse mortgage, you have some equity in your house and you're just accessing that equity to fund things. And since you're accessing it through a loan, it's all tax free. That's exactly what life insurance is. You have cash value and you're accessing that cash value through a loan that you're getting from an insurance company. And you're just hoping that the loan balance never gets to that cash value. And actually, reverse mortgages can be even better than life insurance because generally home values go up over time, where as you get older with life insurance, the cost of insurance <laughs> continues to go up. So that eats away at the cash value. Um, and if you ever do go underwater in a reverse mortgage, lease you're not forced to move out, where with life insurance, it uh, – uh, it lapses on itself, so, so you, you know people have no problem balking at it, reverse mortgages. But really, life insurance is even worse than that.
2: And I, I was going to say too. I mean, when you talked about this family that was sold to life insurance, all you have to do to, to sell life insurance is get your life and health, uh, you know, certificate or yeah. whatever it's called. And this guy was talking about tax. He knows nothing about taxes. Right. You know his, his education <laughs> is nothing. It's just a hot button that he was told to sell on. But I bet you they don't even know the tax brackets, how they function, and you know as you talked about the deduction versus the retirement, they didn't look at any type of analysis like that. And that's what's just so irritating to me is that that people are sold on their emotional side of things by people that don't even understand the products and how it's truly impacting them. And that's really where your value comes in is you don't sell anything. You just are there to look at, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And you break that down for them so that they can make the right decisions. Right. Well, Harrison. And
5: I really understand taxes. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I I, I hate taxes and I I really focus on that. So there is much more efficient ways that we can reduce retirement tax liability than than
1: buying life insurance. Yep. Well, that's why you're a financial planner as opposed to a life insurance salesperson. So, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, We'll see you uh, Monday morning.
5: All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday.
1: Okay. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Again, it's uh, Harrison Johnson. He is our financial planner. He's a CFP. If you want to talk to him or have a free consultation with him, call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. So you can go to the website as well smartinvesting2000.com, smartinvesting2000.com, you can send them a message there. Jay, you brought up about the, the licensing and so forth, and, and I've got many securities licenses, and I, uh, you know, to, to become a, an RIA, I took a, gosh, I, that was a test that was one of the hardest. I remember when I first was in the industry, uh, I took my life insurance test. I went to the school called Mike Russ Schools, and they said, just do this, do this, and you'll be fine. I passed that test in 13 minutes. (laughs) It's like, what did I learn? (laughs) So uh, not to knock life insurance people, because again, there is a right time for life insurance. But as you pointed out, they know nothing or very little about taxes or future values or investing. And they're just, it's a commission thing. And some of those commissions can be 60, 70, 80% commission off of what you're putting in. How can the person make any money with that total type of commission. Oh,
2: and especially if you're funding that as a retirement plan, yeah. you're talking about trying to over, fund. oh my gosh, they're probably like, yes, yeah. I'm making so much money off of this.
1: And the problem at our office, and the same thing with Harrison, we are you know, investment advisors, financial planners, we're not salespeople. If we go up against a good salesperson, we're gonna win because they are so good they can sell many people what is we're going to win or we're going to lose no we're going to lose yeah a, a okay you said we're going to win <laughs> you why know, well, i meant they're going to they're going to they're okay. going to win because you know we can show them all the facts and so forth but that salesperson knows their hot buns they know how to sell them so well, let's go back to the calls here 833-288-0973 that's 833-288-0973 let's go to oceanside and speak with joe joe you're in the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase how can we help you out?
0: Brent, Chase, that Harrison boy, he's growing on me.
1: <laughs> That's good to hear.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't i didn't care too much for him when I, when he first joined you guys, you know. But uh, over the time, it's, yeah, he's growing on me. I would, I would definitely talk to him. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. Well, good. That's
1: what we like to hear. <laughs> what can you do for us? Hey,
0: um, you know what? Uh, QCOM has been really getting hit here, and I was wondering if you could shed some light. why?
1: You know, I don't know if I can shed some light, but I have seen it. I'm kind of smiling a little bit to see that because maybe it's time to maybe look at buying some. So um, let's say the numbers on Qualcomm because I've not done that uh, lately. So symbol for Qualcomm is QCOM, only 1.5% short, 75% institutional owned. Uh, P.E. ratio now, 16.8 versus 25.4. Like seeing that number. Price of sales, 4.7 versus 5.9. Price to book value is 61.5, but the industry is over 100. Price to cash flow is 17.9. That's the only valuation ratio over uh, the industry, and that's 16.2. Peg ratio is now 0.9 versus 5.3. Now, Qualcomm over the last year, they've increased their earnings by 25%. Not quite as good as the industry, up 44. Uh, sales for Qualcomm are up 22.5% versus the industry growth of 32 the five year earnings per share growth for Qualcomm, 14.7%. is under, I'm surprised, under the industry at 19%. They do pay a dividend, not a bad one, about 1.9%, use 30.4% in their earnings to pay that out. They have grown that uh, dividend over the last five years at a rate of 5.1%. They've grown it for 10 years in a row. Reducing the balance sheet, got a current ratio of 1.7 versus 3.5. Debt to equity is kind of high. I'm, I think they've taken on some debt. They didn't used to have this debt before. versus uh, 60% for the industry. And we do see a net profit margin of 27.7 versus 23.9. And then return on equity, wow, 88.1 versus 28. I'm thinking. Perhaps uh, Qualcomm has a low amount of equity, but we can...
2: Yeah, I'm going to assume that because I know they did huge stock buybacks over the last few years, which, uh, again, reduces their their equity on the balance sheet. So it kind of explains their debt to equity and so forth. Um, And I know it's a a business that... kind of hold near and dear here because they are a San Diego company. So with that said, though, let's look at the current price for Qualcomm, $146.99. 52-week high, well, that's $193.58, and that did occur on January 5th of this year, so nice little pullback from the start of the year. 52-week low, though, $122.17. As I did say, it struggled so far in 2022, down about 19.3% to start the year. Let's now look going forward for Qualcomm. I go to September 2023. I do see estimated earnings per share of twelve dollars and fifty-eight cents, would give us a target sell price of two hundred and eight dollars and eighty-three cents. Very attractive forward PE of under twelve times. I mean, I I like to see that. I I think Qualcomm's a good business. I do remember years ago when we did hold it though, one thing that always concerned me is their their legal bills are just so high because they make so much money off of licensing technology rather than actually doing the technology in some cases. So they're always having to defend their patents, which is quite costly. And uh, that, that's just one, one, one thing I point out that was always uh, in the back of my mind when holding Qualcomm. But the numbers do look good uh, on, on the valuation side.
1: Yeah, definitely worth, uh, and I have seen, you know, like been going down. And I thought, yeah, maybe we should take a look at Qualcomm because I like it. Uh, we don't know what's going on other than that because we've not been reading anything on it and so forth. I've seen nothing in the news uh, on Qualcomm but I think it's definitely worth looking deeper into because of that fact, and I did look at the balance sheet, uh, their equity is now, uh, where'd it go, um, come on. Uh, and while you're doing that, I was gonna say too, the other thing that concerned
2: me with uh, Qualcomm is uh, China was always kind of where a lot of the semiconductor oh, yeah, manufacturing right. occurs. I always do worry that China's like, nope, we're not gonna
1: honor that patent <laughs> any longer. <laughs> And they so, can do that. What are we gonna do? Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're gonna do. Uh, their, their equity is now 11.3 billion. It did reach a high back in uh, 2014 of 38.8 billion. So I think you're right. They've been buying a lot of stock back, which will reduce their cash. Uh, so that could be the situation. Uh, their cash now is uh, uh, 11.3 billion. Yeah, it, it was about 16 billion back in uh, 2015, 2014. So they've been buying stock back, which is good. So, I mean, I like it, Joe. I think it's worth looking at, but as Chase brought up with, with China, uh, and we, I've just not seen anything on the news of why it's falling. So you want to find out why it is falling because of, it's what I call a fixable problem. That's going to be fixed in the next 18, 24 months. Yeah. We'd want to buy this company, but if it's something else that, uh, maybe there's having some other problems, eh, I, I I might stay away from it. So can't give me an answer. Just give you uh, some direction.
0: Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm not sure if the, the whole thing, they, they, there's something going on with this other company, V E O N E E R, that I don't know if they're finalizing or what. I'm not sure if that thing might have been an all cash deal or something like that. So, mm.
1: Yeah. And, and,
0: uh, maybe that had something to do with it because it really kind of fell hard yesterday, uh, Friday. Yep. Yeah, the, the
2: whole semiconductor, I know we took a look at uh, On Semiconductor earlier. Uh, you know, it looked like uh, you know Intel and AMD and uh, I think even NVIDIA as well. I think they all kind of, the chip space really did kind of hit a, hit a
1: speed bump on Friday. And, and that can many times be a buying opportunity because if every, all the chip stocks go down and you've got, a, <clears throat> you know, a strong company like Qualcomm doing fine, like, wow, what a great time to buy more because they don't have the problems that they're saying these other companies have, so hey, it could be a good opportunity. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so. I think Qualcomm fell farther than the other chip companies. And um, you know, I mean, I, I picked some up on Friday, but I got rid of it on Friday too because, <laughs> you know, it was going down so hard. You know, I said, "Oh my gosh," I was down quite a bit, but yeah, luckily I ended up making a decent amount. So,
2: so
1: that was a trade, not an investment. That's there, right, huh, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Using those emotions there, Joe. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, you know, but uh, hey, never lose taking a profit, right, guys?
1: Oh, I, I hate sayings like that, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I <tell you>. gotta <laughs> They make you feel good, but they don't make you money many times. <laughs> so. Hard to argue, though. Uh, well. Okay. Hey, well,
0: thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. I was wondering, you know, what was happening with that thing because I just haven't seen it fall like this in a while.
1: Yeah. Keep watching it because I, I, I think there could be opportunities, but I just, I've not seen anything in the news about it, so I do some research. Maybe maybe we'll look at it maybe next week. I don't know. So, Joe, thanks for calling. <laughs> Keep us posted we will do that <laughs> okay okay <laughs> bye bye all right that does open the phone line 833 288 0973 that's 833 288 0973 and see now that joe's gone i can say like that that thing of saying uh, what is it never It never go broke Ticket never taking a profit right uh, but you can sure cut your long term returns that way yeah and 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 there's so many things like uh is it uh don't be sore by more? I mean, there's so many of those sayings out there that I think Wall Street created just to make people.
2: I, feel like, I mean, there's just so many sell and may, go away, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean there's just always these these rules of thumb or sayings, as like you said, that are catchy, but you know, yeah. I mean, you, you gotta be careful uh following kind of them as advice, I guess right, is what I would right. say.
1: And we just look at the, the company, it's like great company, let's buy it, you know. Yeah, you know, but we're we're not traders, so uh phone numbers again, eight three three Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Oh, let me talk about the workshop because it is this Thursday. Uh, the workshop is going to be uh, in Scripps Ranch, and we're going to talk about things that uh, to try to help make you a smarter investor. Uh, and we, we do have some volatile times now. We're going to show you how the fundamentals pay off during these volatile times. Uh, staying how to stay away from that high risk investing. That's what you're kind of looking at, like oh, I want to I want to make money quick. Well, we're going to talk about how to stay away from those. Things that kind of suck you in. How to buy the right dividend stocks. 19 thoughts that can lead to your underperformance. And the big question we kind of show people, and this shocks people when we show them, but how many positions should you have in the portfolio? We'll show you why. Not just how many you should have, it's not a guess. We'll show you why you should have that and something to kind of hold on to. It is a free workshop, but you have to sign up. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Also, you can call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And Priscilla, she'll get you signed up there. Chase, we got this on Facebook. I I put it down as a a, a list here. I did not write down their name. So it says, if time on your upcoming Saturday morning show, please analyze CRWS and D-O-L-E. We'd really appreciate it. We own both and looking to add more to get those holdings up to 3 to 4% of our portfolio, currently about 1% to 2%. Uh, thank you. So I, I thought we'd take a look at uh, CRWS here.
2: I think D O L E is like the pineapple company. Pineapple. <laughs>
1: well, I guess we can decide here. Do, which one do you want to do? You want,
2: uh, let me see real quick. This other company is called uh, Cruise, I think. Crown, I think. Crown. Crown Crafts. Uh, infant and toddler product segment let's do that yeah, one let's out. do that one yeah, i that. We looked at dole
1: gosh it's actually been a long time but I, I don't think i've ever looked at this company so yeah so yeah it's kind of nice to look at a, a, a new company that we haven't seen before so let's say that's uh crown Crafts, symbol crws uh they are in the industry of furnitures furnishings and fixtures and appliances. Uh, Only 0.1% float, only 41% institutional owned. We do see a nice P.E. ratio here of 8.4 versus 14.6. Price of sales, 0.8, same as the industry. Price to book value, 1.9 versus 32.5. And then price of cash flow, 13.3. That is above the industry, unfortunately, at 9.6. Nice peg ratio, 1.7 versus 16. Now, the earnings have grown by 28.3% over the past year, about the same as the industry at 28.8. We do see sales are up 5.5%, industry up 4.1. The five-year earnings growth on those earnings from the analyst is a 5% versus 4.4 for the industry. Oh, they pay a nice dividend here, 4.9% and use only 41.6% of their earnings. I like seeing that. I'm hoping I'm hoping to find a good balance sheet here. Uh, We got a current ratio 2.8 versus 1.5. That is good. Debt to equity only 0.1 versus 1.5. Net profit margin 9.3 versus 6.1. And return equity is 17.6, just under the industry at 18.5. I'm getting kind of excited about this company. Are you going to destroy that on me, Chase? (laughs) What do you got there going for? Unfortunately. uh, Current (laughs) price
2: here for Crown Crafts, $6.50. 52-week high, $8.25. 52-week low, $6.07. It's down about 10% so far to start the year. Unfortunately, company size here, just $65 million. It's a tiny company. And with that, there's no analysts. So- This is something you're truly on your own with, and you know there, there's no way to really for us to derive a target sell price. You'd have to kind of be an analyst and actually come up with your own estimates going right. forward on earnings. So it, that is something that that is quite difficult with this business. The other thing I was going to say too is interesting. We talked about this big baby boom that was supposed to happen during COVID. Yeah, and I, I think people are saying it didn't happen. Oh, really? I, I that's just kind of what I heard. So. I, I don't know any details behind it, but uh, you know that would have been a big benefactor for this business. I, I'm, I'm curious if there are other numbers on the number of babies that were had now.
1: <laughs> yeah, you thought there kind of would be. You thought that would happen, but um, yeah, that would be great for this company. That, that's what I was kind of thinking as well. How's a baby boom doing if one, but you're saying doesn't appear to be happening.
2: Yeah, I I've I kind of heard just tidbits on it. I haven't done the full research on it because we don't have any baby product stuff in the portfolio well, so <laughs> you, you're getting married
1: you uh, gotta start pretty soon we'll see <laughs> <laughs> all right there's a closing bell thank you for listening to smart investing show it is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice if you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs have other investment questions feel free to call myself brent wilsey or chase wilsey at 858-546-4306 that's 858 858- Five four six four three zero six, or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase-Wilsey. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on The Smart Investing Show.